Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of Dragon's Cast. This is our usual Sunday night recording spot, 9 o'clock, but instead of our usual cavalcade of uh, characters, we have a different set. Uh, still characters, though. Jerry Beach, Brian Mole, and Tommy Glasgow, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. When, 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 when can I talk trash to Tommy? Can I start now, please? Please? Can I start now? <laughs> you got to let me talk trash to our own, uh, to our own fan base first. Right, and then uh, right, I'm, I'm right. calling dibs. Um, coming off of the worst Drexel uh, road trip, I think, that I can remember, to be perfectly honest with you. Losing at, uh, at A&T and Elon here. And um, A&T, um, for those of you who didn't get the joy of watching on Flow, um, there was a no-show performance at A&T, and then I think they actually showed up against Elon. Uh, I know it's easy to rag on a team that had one of the one game, but they shot, I think, 53% from three, 90% from the line. Um, they weren't clean in any means, turnover-wise or anything else. They didn't look great, but they, they put the ball in the basket when they needed to, and I think they would have beaten a few teams in the league that day. But um, still, you, you, you hate being the first team uh, when it's you know basically February on the calendar. So um, forgetful weekend for the Dragons. The only real one I wanted to touch on was a bad intentional foul called on Justin Moore. It wasn't a, a bad foul. It wasn't flagrant anyway. It was just it was intentional. Like he kind of fouled the guy, and just made sure everybody knew it was intentional. And um, it was um, it was kind of just embarrassing to watch as a fan. It was it was it was lazy. It was stupid. Um, really thought he needed to be. Uh, benched at some point or, or, or something shown by the coaching staff. They didn't do it. And, um, you know, I talk X's and O's about the coaching staff from time to time. They're smarter than me at that. But I think as, as, as far as leading men, I, I, I'm not in the locker room. I can't question it. But you don't often see just kind of no repercussion from a play like that. And I was disappointed. Disappointed. So that's I'll leave it there. Bad weekend for the Drexel men. Good bounce back weekend for the Drexel women. They two and zero. They they took care of business against teams they needed to. They're back um, in contention before a big road swing next weekend. So that gets the Drexel stuff out of the way. Let's go to the fun. Let's let's talk about this league and um, game of the year, right? Game of the year this week. This is a great time to have this band together. I'm really happy to time out this way because not only does Charleston come to the deck, an angry Charleston team. Thank you, Jerry, comes to the deck <laughs> on Thursday. But uh, we've got a uh, we're coming off of a barn burner down in Charleston. Um, so I guess let's talk about that game, and then and then maybe Tommy, if you want to take us through um, a little bit of what's what's been in the sauce this year. But Jerry, uh, as the victor, we'll let you go first here. Um, what did you uh, what did you see in that one? Man, uh, you know I watched uh, like a lot of us did Wilmington Charleston uh, a few weeks ago. I thought, no, nah, that's that's the game of the year. That, you know how often do you get a game with two as it was unbeaten teams, and it meets your expectations. It's even better. And then and then this one happened. Uh, you know, I was on record and, and Mulk had backed me up on this one. I thought, you know, I, I remember Kelsey and Charleston with a week to prep for Hofstra last year, just blew their doors off in the tournament. And I thought, you know, a week off, it just didn't feel like a great setting for Hofstra, but you know, Hofstra plays well uh, on the road in, in hostile environments. He beat Arkansas last year. Um, and th- this game was just terrific. I mean, and if you would have told me, I was saying this to actually my dad tonight, if you would have told me that. Uh, Aaron Estrada scored two points in the second half and Hofstra won. I would have, you know, or, you know, Aaron Estrada scores two points. I would have bet you anything you want, people or otherwise, that Drex, that Charleston wins that game. Um, you know, Hofstra's been a one-man band a lot. And, and you know, we saw in the A&T game, the Towson game, their losses. 
if 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 if, if the if the if the if Estrada wasn't getting free, nothing was happening. Um, and they just they, they seemed uh, feast or famine, all or nothing with him. And to see three guys come up big for them, Dubar had been really quiet for most of the CA season, had a tremendous game, 13 second half points. Jaquan Carlos, 13 second half points. Tyler Thomas with the quietest 17 and 7, I think it was seven rebounds, you'll ever see. Just terrific. Um, so, you know, really encouraging win for Hofstra, obviously. And, and as Tommy can, 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 can talk about, you know, in a, in a hostile environment, in a, in a good way, you know, a full house at the best arena in the league, probably. And um, it's just, just uh, a terrific win for Hofstra and, and, and one that, you know, I, I, I think someone wrote it, uh, you know, Wilmington and Towson and, and maybe a, a Cinderella-esque team in, in March. I'll have something to say about it, but that felt like a championship preview uh, in D.C. in a few weeks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just a terrific win for Hofstra and, and kind of, you know, if, if you're watching the team like 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 like, uh, like those of us up here do, that that's what you want to see. You put that in a bottle and, and save it for six weeks. They'll be in pretty good shape. That wasn't too bad, that trash talk. I thought you were really going to nah, you know, have, the, nah. have the claws out. Like we'll, we'll circle back to like, you know, I'll say real quick though, Tommy speak, but like, you know, like, like uh, SCTV man said on Twitter, like, you know, uh, Charleston lost the game, which was, I think it was five of 31 from three. Uh, Hofstra, you know, had four guys score 15 points or more. Estrada scores two points in the second half and Charleston loses by four at home. Uh, that's a lot, a lot went right for Hofstra and they won by four. And that's not a knock on Hofstra. It's Charleston's really good. And like, I think someone else said, uh, you know, if they're Wake Forest, they're ranked twentieth this week, as opposed to oh Charleston eighteen. Oh, they lost. See it, you know. They'll never see you again. Uh, that's a little, you know. If Hofstra went in there and won, you know, by twelve or fourteen, fine. But Charleston played, you know, outside, you know, outside they had a really bad shooting night. Other than that, you know, they look pretty good. It's heck of a win by Hofstra, but you know they need to pretty much you know come up with their best effort. Uh, to beat them, and, and you know, I, I guess I, I would still. You know, I saw Charleston only dropped a couple spots in Ken Palm. Uh, that, that's that says a lot to me. And I still think you know Charleston at eighty, Hofstra at one hundred is an accurate barometer of where they are. But I will talk trash to Tommy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, great game. Credit to Hofstra. Tip of the cap. I think most Charleston fans were like, "Hey, Hofstra was the better team." Uh, to to Jerry's point, if you had told me that Charleston shoots what, 16% from three, the way this team lives and dies by the three, but they still scored 80, like feeling pretty good about that. Um, but Hofstra shoots a 50-50-75 split as a team, 50% from the field, 11 for 22 from deep. Margin for error for Charleston is just really, really narrow at that point. And usually they're supplementing, you know, a bad shooting night with getting 50-50 balls, getting offensive rebounds. But Hofstra just made the shots they had to at, at every Time every time Charleston needed a stop, Hofstra executed. Um, yeah, Aaron Estrada goes off in the first half of 23, and then Charleston overcommits to defending him. Probably wants the ball out of his hands, and like Jerry said, guys like Carlos, Thomas, uh, Dubar all showed up when their number was called. So you know, again, hat tip to, to Hofstra for a really well executed game plan. Uh, I don't think Charleston fans should really be melting down over this. I mean. To lose to what looks like right now the second best team in the league in a you know single possession game. If Charleston shoots 20% from the field and Hofstra shoots 40% from three instead of 50, it's probably a totally different game. Um, I have a Holy City Hoops podcast locked and loaded, and I, I said this there. Um, you know, it's 
it's not a bad loss for the Cougars. Um, I think they'll, you know, turn it around uh, at Drexel on Thursday. Sorry, Crane. But hey, Dragons are undefeated at the DAC last I, last I saw. Um, but yeah, I uh, thought it was uh, just a, a solid CAA game. I think you're going to hear uh, the, the keyboard clicks you're hearing is national media wondering how good Hofstra is and like how much to drop Charleston after this. I think they probably drop out of the top 25, maybe like 24, 25. I think guys like Dick Vitale had them artily, artificially inflated in like the 11, 12 range, which was probably a little above our ceiling. Um, but, uh, you know, again, not a bad loss. So 13 things I want to talk about here. But uh, I guess my I, spinning off of this, Brian, do you think, I mean, in your eyes, is Charleston a top 25 team? Uh, no. I mean, honestly. Now, did they just... The, it's a different question. Had they earned the right to be ranked? Absolutely. By winning that many games in a row, uh, you can only beat the teams who are on your schedule. Uh, they're certainly their, their, their non-conference schedule. They didn't duck anyone. Uh, some of those uh, teams that were NCAA tournament teams last year aren't quite as strong this year. That's not something that you have any control over. Uh, who you play in the Charleston Classic, you have no control over, but they certainly uh, showed up there. I mean, I think they're a I think their Kim Palm ranking is off because they were so misranked in the preseason, if you will. Like they started out near 200, which was pretty ridiculous. Just thinking about Pat Kelsey as a coach and the roster that they were going to have. So, you know, they've climbed over 100 spots. They probably should have started, you know, 150 or something and and be, you know, I think they're a top 50 team. I think that's legit uh, based on, on what I've seen. Uh, maybe even maybe top 40. But um you know, the, the one thing I would say about Charleston's roster compared to other mid-majors who have had great seasons, when I look at it, there's not a uh, there's not a surefire like, oh, that guy's an NBA guy, as they've had in Charleston in recent years and as we've seen in this league, or maybe a fringe NBA guy. Uh, they might not have an all-first-team, all-CAA guy on the roster. Exactly. It's just such a unique situation. And while they have, he has nine or 10 guys who he can put into the game and know that most nights they're going to deliver and fill their role. And they're all a little different, which makes it for a great team. That's, you know, probably stronger than its individual parts. Um, I just uh, think that ultimately to, uh, to be up there in that top 30, top 40, you, you got to have some dudes, you know, you got to have a couple of guys, a guy who uh, like an Aaron Estrada, you know, a guy that, that you could turn to, uh, to get 30, um, who, who can't be guarded by anyone at any level. And, um, but look, what Charleston has done has been impressive. Uh, I was, you know, going into the game, I felt like that Charleston would win because of the backboards. And I had not seen Hofstra rebound with that uh, tenacity and relentlessness, but they fought, you know, and uh, that, uh, like you said earlier, and Pat said in this post game, like the the fifty fifty balls that they normally get didn't go their way, and that's a credit to Hofstra and Speedy for having his team ready to to play. And uh, you know, going into the year, Dubar was a guy that I felt like was a big X factor for them, and he finally showed up. Like Jerry said, like he was really really good, and when he's really good, they sh- they're a really good basketball. I just want to say real quick, I just looked at the uh, the Ken Palm, like the two games Hofstra lost, uh, they were ten of fifty one from three. And got to the line six times against um, Towson in that blowout a couple weeks ago. Charleston yesterday is 21-32 from two and 24-31 from the free throw line. 
it's just such a complete team. And it really worked out well yesterday for Hofstra because they couldn't miss. If they miss, you know, it feels like at the moment Charleston's got secondary and, and tertiary options where I'm not sure Hofstra, you know, if, if they're not shooting what they would left for 22, like time is saying, if they're 10 for 24, <laughs> right, drop six points, right? It's a totally different game. Um, so, you know, I was just really impressed by how thorough Charleston was, even in defeat, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, Hofstra was great, obviously, you know, they played great. But as we as we've seen, and, and as as Brian will absorb from me with the threes aren't falling, it's like you know, you know, I wish Hofstra got to line more, and I guess I shouldn't be complaining because they just became the first uh, CEA team to beat a ranked team in 36 years or whatever it is. But you know, Charleston just such a complete team and goes right even down to Dalton Bolin wiping the floor yesterday, right, Tommy? Hey, that's the that D two mentality. Yeah, uh, that was. Have great. you have you heard that. the story about Dalton Bolin? teaching a class at West Liberty like he's I thought he, I thought he taught a class at Charleston because he's 45 years old no <laughs> yeah. yeah I think he, uh, yeah the the Dalton Bowen age jokes uh ne- never get never old really this guy's yeah. gonna be famous here for years he's gonna play one year basically for you guys we talk about it for 10 years after this yeah well he's he's the embodiment of Kelsey and like to get to to Dan's question about what's going on in Charleston this season I think Dalton Bowen being healthy is a, a big part of that uh, just in terms of like a guy who came up from the D2 ranks. We all know the stories about Charleston having D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO guys, um, just being hungry, but also like super coachable, like super unselfish. Basically, I mean, how I've broken it down to people who haven't followed the Cougars much, we expected Charleston's sophomore class to kind of bear most of the weight this year with uh, so Kelsey's first real recruiting class, now a year older. And then we expected these transfers to kind of fill fill in the gaps. Turns out the transfers are a lot better than we anticipated. So now we have nine guys who are really, really solid. Um, Bowling back, healthy, leading the team in scoring. But, you know, pick your poison. Like Brian said, there's guys who fill every role. You want a true point guard, you got Brian Larson. You want a stretch five, you've got Ante Berzovich. You want a slasher, Raekwon Horton. You want a sharpshooter, Rain Smith. Like all up and down the roster. Nobody's redundant. Everybody fills a role. Nobody's trying to take over, you know, or, or ball hog or anything like that. And Kelsey, we know his system. He wants to, to get guys in sprint for four minutes and then check out. And it's hockey line changes every time. And hopefully that bodes well for, for March and, and coming off the Hofstra loss. I don't think they need to change much. Like, I don't think they need to, you know, throw their, their strategy playbook in, in the trash. I think um, there were some Charleston fans who were upset about the number of three point attempts, given that they weren't going in, in that Hofstra game. I kind of think, the Cougars have earned the right to take those. This system has served them quite well over the last 20 games. Um, like we mentioned, though, just didn't go in. And sometimes that's how the cards fall. Yeah. If you would, I think if you would have told Pat before the game that uh, Charleston was going to make 66% of its twos and outscore Hofstra 24 to 6 at the free throw line, he would have felt really good about yeah. the way the night was going to uh, transpire. And, uh, you know, uh, just one more note on Larson. Like I've followed his career pretty closely because he was at Wofford and on some good teams. And certainly we know Kelsey's a great recruiter and motivator and, uh, you know, game coach, but the development uh, and, and Ryan deserves a lot of credit for that too, for being in the weight room and doing the things that he had to do. But the development I've seen from him since he came to Charleston, whenever last spring or in the summer to now, he's a totally different player. And, you know, maybe part of that is system or role. 
but just physically and, uh, you know, I, I was not anticipating him to make this big of an impact. Like you said, Tommy, I thought he was just going to be a nice role guy, come in, hit some shots for you, veteran guy that, you know, but there was, there's no question that he has been, uh, he's been an elite player in the CAA and uh, kudos to him and, and Pat for, for that development. And, and I just want to say real quick, it's funny, you know, we, we talk about how deep Charleston is. Uh, we just, uh, Tommy just rolled off like five or six guys and not one named Pat Robinson the third, who had the best stretch I saw in person. I saw Northeastern, Charleston at Northeastern last week. Um, and, and he had that stretch where Northeastern got a close and went through the first half. I think Pat scored six or eight points in a row and, and Charleston was off and running. Again, like I said, just came in that line shift and, you know, hit a couple shots, steadied the Cougars and, you know, they never, they never looked back after that. So yeah, it's just, you can mention all the guys on the top of your head and there's still more <laughs> and there's yeah. still more to come. Yeah. yeah, I think if you polled Charleston fans who's our best player, you'd probably get five or six different answers because right. right. everybody right. up and down the roster is kind of the same same talent level, which is of Charleston's benefit. Right. So I think um, a couple of questions out of that. Who's, who's your favorite? Who's your not favorite? Who's your, who do you think the best player is, Tommy, on that team? I think Dalton Bowen's the heart and soul of the team, but I really like Ante Berzovic. Um, Ante Berzovic played D2 basketball, Croatian player, as a true freshman at the D2 level, he was averaging basically 20 and 10. And I was one of the folks who was like, that should play in mid-major basketball. I know it's D2, but like 20 and 10 is 20 and 10. Uh, super, super skilled. One of like the classic European story of a guy who started as a guard from when he was in diapers and then hit a growth spurt and now has guard skills in a 6'10 body. And he's come he's super clutch he made a big three against uncw in that game uh he put up 15 against unc 15 against um virginia tech in charleston's maybe most marquee win of the season uh super super skilled european big man i i, I love me some monte brzevich no i agree i just wanted to add on there i think he's the most important guy when i was kind of analyzing their roster over the summer you know, it was obviously there's going to be a lot of guards and depth and some athleticism. But looking at that five spot, there was a question mark in my mind. I was like, yeah, they can play small and be very successful. But ultimately, it's nice to have a, a center and, uh, you know, to have someone with his height and skill. Uh, it's a huge asset at any level, especially in the CAA. He's, he's terrific. It's, uh, it's funny. We have a, a European former guard turned big man at Drexel. It's been working out okay. Highly recommend. Um, <laughs> do it if you can do it. <laughs> but yeah, do it if you can do it. Um, no, it's cool. I think as a fan, I think my favorite thing to do is see players develop and see a team whose sum is greater than the parts. So I think you're getting a treat in Charleston there. I think you know. I think it's certainly what's happening right now, and it's it's got to be fun to see. Um, are we all as a group here? Is it a consensus that these are the top two teams in the league right now? Right now, for sure. I mean, I say for sure. Right now, yeah, I mean, Wilmington kind of hit that uh, that 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 tough patch. Maybe they've got kind of kind of back on track a little bit. Uh, I feel, and and, and I'm curious, you guys think? I, I think Wilmington is. How do I put this? Wilmington's a sum is better than the parts type of team, but not as. But Charleston's a better. Charleston has better better uh, players. You know, a higher level of skill. I think. Uh, so, you know, I think right now it's Hofstra, uh, Hofstra, Charleston and the Towson thing, you know, like they played, I was told when I was, uh, by somebody when I was not happy with that, that route in Maryland a couple weeks ago, Towson just plays such a different style of ball 
than anybody. They would have fit in great 15 years ago, right, in this league. But in 2023, it's it's such a unicorn. So you never know how that's going to translate in March. Um, look at him. Pat Scary's had some rough, you know, really rough misfortune uh, with some really good teams in March. Um, so, yeah, I'd say right now Towson and uh, Charleston and Towson are the one and the two in, uh, in some order. Um, but, look, a lot can change in a few weeks. And, and I really liked watching uh, Wilmington in the tournament last year. Very impressive uh, tourney tested team, a tough team. And I know it's not the same makeup, but to go win the CBI, my favorite tournament, as you all know, <laughs> off a 10-day rest, whatever, how many days are off, 10 days, when you came within a bucket or two of actually winning this, like, uh, making this way tournament, you know, to go to a, a giant cavernous gym in, in uh, Daytona Beach, I think it was, and win that thing, really impressive. So, you know, I, I won't be surprised at all if Wilmington mounts a big run in March, even even though I think that you know talent wise, you probably you know uh, skill wise, you probably look at Charleston and Hofstrip you know, as two teams that are certainly ahead of them. I've been impressed with Towson, to be honest. Uh, certainly, they were uh, the clear preseason favorite. Uh, although Pat Scary did vote uh, Charleston number did. one. That's right. Yep. In his poll, uh, yep. I had them number two. I think you know you had to, with three first team all conference guys, you had to put Towson first, but. Uh, they hit that rough patch and lost five games there in December, but uh, you know, they've won eight of nine. They're leading the league in three point percentage, which is not what you've come to expect from a, from a Towson team in conference games and uh, you know, not had Jason Gibson who they thought was kind of going to be their point guard. I think it took them a while to adapt to that. And uh, some of their new faces have, have shown up. So uh, I think Towson may be a little overlooked right now, as far as, uh, They've kind of had to reinvent themselves a little bit, and Cam Holden missed some games. Uh, it took him a while to get back to speed, but a, a triple double the other day against William and Mary. He's he's obviously uh, backfiring on all of his cylinders, and uh, I think they're going to be tough if, as you mentioned, Jerry Towson's just had some some unfortunate misfortune, some rotten luck in uh, in March, and maybe this is the year that they got their misfortune out of the way in December. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, they, they've been so good for so long uh, at, at the regular season. We all know the rebuild that was required in that place should, should never be understated. And, and you know, you'd like to see a guy like that do it the right way. He's doing it the right way. Uh, good coach, you know, builds, has a – not only has a, a formula he believes in, but as you noted, can, can adjust. Who would have thought they'd ever lead the league of three-point shooting, right? Um, so, so let's say like got a guy like that get rewarded and, and, you know, it seems classic that in the year that he's picked first, there's a top 25 team in the league, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tough luck. Tough luck. That's yeah. scary. Yeah. I've got, the, I've got, I've got those four <laughs> teams. <laughs> in, those four are in the contender tier for me, you know, Towson winning six straight really showed me something, uh, as well as their win over Hofstra. UNCW, I think I maybe need to see it a little bit more against the top teams in the league, but those four to me seem like a, a class in and of themselves. Yeah, the dub's the one that's fringy for me because I, I just don't think the results the last few weeks, I haven't gotten to see any of that action, to be perfectly honest with you. Jax hasn't played them yet. I'll only play one time this year, but um, the results have not been wow to me. Whereas you look at Hofstra, obviously what Charleston's done. And, you know, Ryan, I mean, Towson won eight of nine, and the, the other game was Delaware, and they didn't have Cam Holden. Um, so that's kind of a big asterisk for the one yeah. that they lost. Yeah, um, 
They just really had a bad stretch in that game. Talking a little bit about Wilmington, um, I don't think they're on the same level as those three teams offensively. I think uh, he's doing a good job with what he has. He realizes he doesn't have a Jalen Sims or the star power um, maybe in the backcourt that he had last year. Shaquem Phillips has uh, been a bit of a disappointment as relative to what they were hoping to get from him. I think offensively he's had some injuries, some ma- minor nagging stuff as well. That's probably disrupted his, uh, his flow, but uh, they're just not, uh, they're not explosive offensively. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of an old school CAA style of, uh, you know, let's hold you down and, and, and they're probably not going to blow anybody out. Could they, could they find it? You know, their offense was humming pretty good in December. And then the kid uh, Ross got hurt and, you know, he's one of those guys that doesn't show up in the box score, but he's he's kind of like the hockey, the hockey guy who gets the assist to the guy who gets the assist, you know, sort of thing. A, a ball mover, a floor spacer, a pretty high IQ guy, kind of a pretty strong leader. And I think they've missed him. He'll be back at some point. Um, I don't think it's a season-ended injury, so their offense is kind of kind of sputtered. But uh, I think those those three are the they're pretty strong. You can make a case for any of them to do well, win three games in March. Yeah, I keep waiting to see if we get an update on Jason Gibson's injury because I think that's actually very meaningful for Towson as well. Um, I, I haven't heard anything besides it seems like they've backed off of a chance to return a few times now, which is never a great sign. Yeah, um, I don't think they're very optimistic. Yeah, it seems yeah. indefinite. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this was it. the other side of that, Tommy, is that I think those are your top four for sure. Regardless of whether we think UNCW is a contender or not, you look at the uh, the next few teams that were within a couple of games of them in the standings. It's Drexel, NCA, and T, and Stony Brook are the only five less loss or less teams out there, and I don't see any of those guys being contenders unless somebody wants to disagree with me. Yeah, no, I I was a believer in Drexel uh, prior to this road trip. I thought you know. I had called out of Charleston's second half of the CA schedule. The game at Drexel was the one I was most worried about because we've struggled with bigs, with, with talented big men going from Baycott to Jake Stevens, like all the way down the line of our schedule. So Williams scared me a little bit, but uh, yeah, sorry, Crane. They're, <laughs> they're pretenders in my mind af- after this weekend. And, you know, uh, William and Mary, Stony Brook, uh, Delaware, even like, I don't know what's going on with Delaware. I thought they were over overhyped in the preseason when we talk about you know who we would have on a mid-season uh all caa list i'm like can you put nelson and davis on there like given their record Uh, i know they're like two individually talented guys but um yeah so those are those are the pretenders in my mind and then the unmentionables would be northeastern (laughs) down the line which is just i mean dan this is this is your forte i've heard you on the podcast before just a historically bad group of CA landmines uh, at the bottom of the standings this year. They are quite bad. Northeastern's the one Northeastern's the one that doesn't belong though, right? Because they have talent. Like they have they have dudes. I mean they actually have tough work and play, Pridget. Like we know like I mean they've got three or four guys that you list off and say are should be c- competing for all CA team. Was was and, Chris Markwood really pulling the strings this whole time? The their Cohen's assistant who is now at uh University of Maine because ever since he left to go to BC with Earl Grant, like we've all been kind of scratching our heads on what's going on up in Boston there. Mark Wood's doing a great job at Maine also, which uh, yeah. is not not an easy place to do a great job in any stretch, but he is I've watched them play a few times. Uh, they have a nice team. Uh, they don't, you know, he's still building the pieces, but he, he he won't be there very long, I wouldn't. If he if he gets Maine to the tournament, I mean, they should name like <laughs> the, the, the Augustus I think I think Augustus the state capital. 
<laughs> Name the state capital after him. This, this is my New England knowledge from New England. I'm trying to, I think it's Augusta. I think it's Augusta. I say you're from uh, Connecticut. All right. Yeah, from Connecticut. Yeah, I think it's Augusta. Um, but uh, uh, two thoughts. One, I, I like in terms of looking at a uh, Cinderella slash spoiler. A and T to me could. I know they got beat pretty good by Monmouth yesterday at home, which I, which I didn't, didn't see coming. Uh, but a t as Brian and I have talked, they got a couple high D1 guys. Uh, Woods, is, Woods is a really good player. Uh, Duncan Powell is actually only a freshman. <laughs> he looks about 42. <laughs> he's, a, he's the he's Dolan a Bruiser Bullen. Flint all-star if I ever <laughs> saw one. He is such a Bruiser Flint all-star that I think he actually was Sammy Gibbons' roommate in 2011. <laughs> oh, my God. He's a redshirt freshman. But my wife and I are at the game like, oh, that guy's got to be – you know, maybe the military or something, you know, maybe like a George Evans, right? Uh, you know, okay, maybe, maybe he, or he, he just went to college later. I got home like, oh, good Lord, that dude was like high school senior two years ago. But, um, you know, they, they, you know uh, they've got a, I like, you know, I like them. I think that's a team, you know, they get the five or six, they should probably win that first round game against 11 or 12. And then, you know, that's a classic team you don't necessarily want to face if you've been off for a week. Uh, especially if you're a three seed like Hofstra, the three seed is just the death, death, death sentence there. Hofstra never does well in the three six game, eight three on a Sunday night. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at at a at a spoiler, like, I don't think I'm not going to say I don't think they can get do four and four, but could they could they catch someone on Sunday? Was it be Monday night? Monday night? Yeah, Monday night. Um, Sunday night for sure. Uh, yeah, get to some ice. And um, uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Uh, Oh, and, and and Brian Brian can back. Brian knows more about this than I do, but it seems like Northeastern's really struggled to find a point guard, right? They have, yep. yeah. yeah. I mean, when well, you look go. back at the lineage of Bill Cohen, nobody's consistently had better point guards through the first 10, 11, 12 years of his tenure at Northeastern. Player of the year caliber player, you know, first team All League, uh, one right after the other. It just seemed like it was next guy up, and he has not had that now. For, for two seasons, and uh, it just goes to show the value of that position of having someone. They've had big turnover problems. They've had times when they just could not create good shots. Uh, nobody did really turn to as good as Telfort and Pridgen are, and I think they're both terrific, top 15 guys in the league. They're not really the guys that can create their own offense late in the shot clock that you have to have, and um, – yeah, it's been it's been puzzling what's happened there. I, I knew they were going to be young in a year when a lot of teams are older, but I still felt like this would be about the time they would start to kind of uh, kick it into gear. And uh, maybe they will. You know, the season's not over. We've still got the month of February and, uh, of course, the tournament. And Bill, Bill still knows what he's doing, but um, I, I think any coach will tell you they look a lot better as a coach when they have a really good point guard. Listen, I turned on the Big Ten Network the other day, and I saw a great Northeastern point guard. So, you know, it's, a, it's – They've had a few. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, there, if there's ever a butterfly butterfly effect moment, it's Tyson Walker going to Carolina on a game scheduled about three hours notice during the pandemic season, putting up like, what, 28 or something? Butterfly flapped its wings that day because uh, worst thing that could have happened to Bill Cohen in a lost season. You just you knew he yeah you knew he wasn't. I think I think everyone in the league kind of knew okay maybe that's a guy you get three years out of and he plays his fourth year as a grad transfer at a high one and then you get the free year because of the pandemic and he just he's the best player on the court against Carolina like oh that's not great for the long term is it? <laughs> and yeah he's doing fine at Michigan State so yeah so. 
But like Brian said, uh, I would never bet against Bill Cohen. Uh, love to watch that guy design plays out of timeout, as, as we all know. So we'll see what happens in a few weeks. With A&T, Cam Woods is the kind of guy who could just – we've seen it in these tournaments, right? Like he could go he could go nuclear for a couple of nights <laughs> now. Can it last through the whole tournament? Is there enough around him? You know, do they have enough in the front court? I, I don't know. But he, uh, Pat Scary, after they played them, and you know, they handled them, but he said, we could not guard him. We put different people on him. We devised everything we could in our defense. We were worried solely about him not going off, and he still went off and, you know, had – 25 points or whatever. So uh, he, he has the ability, the fearlessness that can work in your favor in a short term. He only scored 12 against Hofstra's. Looked at it now. They had Horton score 21 that day. But that's a team that, uh, and Powell was 18 and 12 off the bench. That's a team, you know, when you, a team spends its whole month on, this, on the road in December, you don't have to worry about, the, I know they had a rough night yesterday, but you don't have to worry about a team like that being cowed by the big moment. And, you know, Hofstra, you know, should have won that game going away. And just maybe teach just kept coming and coming and coming, and uh, and won on a tipping at the buzzer, which 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 uh, was like the biggest lead of the game. And you don't see that very often. So uh, yeah, so that's a team that that you know I can see certainly winning round one as a five twelve six eleven, and then getting a little hot and you know nothing to lose. And team yeah, we talked about this, been on the road for a while. They're not going to be you know intimidated by you know having to play a set game in, in twenty four hours in DC against a much higher seed. So if that if, that, if it were you know trying to identify a, a Cinderella, the final four, like Elon a few years ago, that, that'd be them for me. Yeah. I mean, Cam, I'm glad you brought up the name, Ryan. We talked about him a couple of days ago. He's, he's exceptional in a league that doesn't have a lot of great point guards. So that helps you in two levels, right? Not only do you have one, but you have one that nobody else has. So it's, it's tough when you, you've got something as a position of need for others and, and that you can go after. Um, I don't want Drexel. I'm actually, I think that's the missing piece. Uh, you know, Justin Moore, I talked about him on the top. Um, he's got a better first step than any point guard I've ever seen at Drexel. Um, and I, we've seen some good ones. Um, you know, I think he's got the ability. He's got the quickness. He's got the speed. He's actually shooting up to about 30% from three in conference play, which is uh, an improvement from the 7% it was out of conference. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, you can see he's developing in real time. If he gets his head on his shoulders, and this is kind of the reason why I pointed out at the top, if he gets his head on his shoulders – Drexel becomes an interesting team. Like that's the difference to me between between pretender and contender right now. It's it's really on his shoulders heavily because there's um, there's not a lot of other guys can go to for that extra thing. They, they don't have the dude as far as a guard. They have Amari Williams who, who can make things happen. But it's hard when when that guy's a forward, right? When that guy can be a guard, it's a different story. And and I think Justin's really the only guy on the roster right now who can, who can be that guy. So it'll be interesting to see if he can keep developing as the season goes on, but uh, I hope they work him um, because it is, it's just a, it's a position of need around the whole conference. I think, uh, I think again, it's another reason why Charleston's strat, you know, playing works well, so well, you got a bunch of guys who can handle the ball, um, who, who can do a lot of different things. Um, not quite the positionless basketball that they like to talk about UNCW, but kind of similar. Um, you need a point guard, and I, I do think that's part of the Towson issue too. I don't think Cam Holden should be that guy. Yeah, they they are, uh, you know, they've developed Hicks a little bit. Uh, you know, Conway's a terrific shooter. Pat Scary says he's the best pure shooter who he's had, and he he's he's certainly shown that some. But we all know, like in March, at any level of playoff basketball, it comes down to guard play. You know, because the, these games are close. A lot of the plays don't work. 
so well because you're so well scouted at that point and uh, possessions are dwindle a bit and you, you have to have the guy who can put the ball in his hands and make the right thing happen. And that's why I think what sets Charleston and Hofstra apart, I mean, the, the guard play, uh, Charleston's been able to kind of keep everybody's guards in check. I feel like most of the season, not that guys haven't had good games against them, but they've, they've done a pretty good job, won that battle until the other night um, when, when Hofstra's perimeter on that particular night was a little bit better. Yeah. And, and like, you know, Hofstra's, you know, I think Jaquan was in foul trouble yesterday, at least in the first half. So Aaron Strada runs the point. That'll, that'll play. That works. <laughs> you know, not, not quite the uh, uh, power guard of Charles Jenkins, but it'll, <laughs> it'll work. You, know, you don't have to worry about it. You know, he can do it if he has to. And I think they list Dubar as a guard. And they, they've got, you know, you know, three, you know, Tyler Thomas has been terrific for, almost from day one. They've they got three or four guys that can, that, that can, you know, can beat you like that. And like you said, like Dan's saying, it, it's a league where there's not a lot of point guards. Maybe, you know, if you don't have good, and Brian said, if you don't have good guard playing like in, in, in March, forget it. And, and two teams we saw yesterday uh, have really good guard play. So, you know, certainly earned their status as, as you know, I'd still put Charleston a little bit ahead, but you know, we want to call them co-favorites. You know, uh, they've run that status. All right, so I'll swing it over here. We've got a segment on the show we like to run out there. We'll uh, we'll run it out today. I see some nods. I see some smiles. So this is good. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Q Leon, he's he's here in spirit. Um, so I I'll, we'll go around the horn here. You don't have to have all three, um, but if you want to give us one or two of the good, the bad, and the ugly for you. Um, what you're seeing in the conference uh, right now as we head to February in a couple of days, guys, it's getting exciting. Um, I'll go clockwise on my monitor. So it's going to be Jerry, Brian, and Tommy. Jerry, you want to kick us off? Well, Hofsch is the good. That's, that's obvious, right? Um, I know, I know, I know. Um, well, we, we talked a lot about the, 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 the top of the league. So I guess, you know, I just, and this might segue into another conversation, but, you know, where is the league you know, it's been a, it's been a rough year between there's three or four really good teams, and everyone else, you know, needs a miracle run. Um, how can the league ensure this is a one year thing? You know, King Rice is in kind of a half show two situation where new league, new pro, you know, lost all his players, so he's just bottoming out. Um, you know, Elon lost maybe the best coach it's ever had, or certainly the best coach. Uh, that we've seen in our in our time following the league in our time in our time since Elon joined the league in Shragi. Uh so you know there's a lot of uh imperfect storm to this. Uh but you know how can Elon can Elon build it back up? Uh can it work for Dane Fisher and William Mary? Uh Stony Brook had a lot of momentum a few years ago when, when Pico got them to the uh American East tournament. I'm sorry, won the American East and got to the NCAA tournament. And just to kind of, you know, and I'm on the island here. So they've kind of lost a little bit of momentum just program-wise, not just basketball. Um, what can the league do to make sure that going forward, you know, there's it's more of a – like we saw the last few years where there's, you know, six or seven pretty solid teams and, and no real – I mean, every year you're going to have a, a, a rotten uh, – sometimes you're going to have a rotten luck year and just two and 16 or whatever. But, you know – I don't think the league wants to go into almost into the conference championship weekend with two teams winless, right? Like Monmouth and, and Elon were this weekend. So what can the league do to ensure that the next couple of years are like we saw with Hofstra and Drexel in early, early, early aughts 
Well, Drexel was in the championship game in year two, right, Dan? Second year, you guys were in there, right? Yeah, yes, we were. That was my first year, so that was, it was right. a good time. That's right, and Hofstra, and you're like, this is great. Uh, this will be great forever. This is what it's like the whole time, yeah. Jerry, this will, um, Robert Battle goes into the Drexel Hall of Fame uh, last weekend, so there awesome. you go. Awesome, yeah. awesome. He did not uh, travel, like, if anybody else. That, <laughs> that was like me being a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. I was seven years old. All oh, they won two division championships in three years, and they were founded in 76. They'll be great forever. <laughs> Didn't work out that way. Um, so, yeah, so, so, you know, the league, we need, to, you know, I don't want to call it ugly and bad because it's, it's college athletes, but what can the league do to make sure that, you know, what we're seeing this year with such a clear uh, line of demarcation between the has and have nots can get a little, little, you know, will the bottom half or bottom two thirds, I guess, this year, right? Uh, what will they do to make sure they can compete at a regular level? Uh, with, with the elite programs that have proven it, have proven it the Hofstra's, the, uh, you know, uh, Drexel's, Charleston's, teams that have been uh, around Wilmington's. So that's what I'm curious to see. I, uh, I know my mouth a little bit just because, you know, up here watching the Mac a little bit. King Rice will get it right there. Uh, it just, you know, it's just been, a, like I said, a perfect storm for him. But, you know, I, uh, and Bill Cohen, I'll always trust. <laughs> and, uh, and, and A and T has got some really good players, and if they can hang on to them, and 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 hopefully for Philip Shepard's case, settle on him as head coach. There's three teams I feel you know pretty good about. It's everyone else like where they get, where's Elon Hampton, William Mary, Stony Brook, where are they gonna, you know, where are they gonna go? And you know because uh, you know it, it's something that hot that uh, Charleston made the top twenty five in the year in which the CAA is gonna have its lowest Ken Palm rating ever. Tells you how good Charleston is, but also tells you that 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 the rest of the league is 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 kind of down too. So that's what I'm curious to see in the next couple of years is, is can this be an aberration or are we going to see this on a more permanent basis going forward? Four or five really good teams and a similar number just taking a taking on the chin at the bottom. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, and we've always kind of talked about the need for um, is it is it really important the bottom of your league? Uh, if the top of your league, you know, can be if you, can be consistently at that bracket buster right back in the day. Yeah, but, you know, like you know, Brian will know better than me, but like you know, sixteen. Looking, around, I'm sorry, oh six, best year ever for the league. Madison two and sixteen, Georgia State three and fifteen, William Mary three and fifteen, Delaware four and fourteen. But even in that, I'm just looking. The, the, the only, the only, they only had one sub three hundred team, and only one sub two fifty team, and that was Madison. I mean, where are we now with sub two fifties? Right, we're at uh, two, four, seven. So, Yikes. yeah. So, to some degree, like, like, yeah. When you got a Mason, a VC, um, a Mason, a Wilmington, and a Hofstra, the years they had in 06, Yeah, there's going to be three, fourteen win teams. Yeah, there's going to be a couple teams that won two, but you know, only one team was really um, not good. I don't call it bad. But, you know, the one team, only Madison, only Madison was really, you know, uh, markedly worse than the rest of the league now like i said we got seven sub 250s in the league now so i'm, I'm you know crane is right and, and like i said brian i'm sure can, can talk about it more uh but you know there is a uh, line there is uh some some ground between we've got four really good teams and we've got seven sub 300s you know or sorry sub 250s sub 250s yeah, I'll tell you the same thing I told Drex about attendance for the last five years, and that's turning around, by the way. So I'm excited about it. But awesome, glad uh, to hear it. We, we had a sellout. We had a sellout at homecoming here last weekend, and Charleston coming to town should be 
a good good awesome. sell. So that'd be awesome. But mm-hmm. uh, the floor should be higher. Yeah, right? I'm not saying yeah. that everybody's got to be in the top 25, but the floor should be higher. You need to have certain standards. They, they should be met. They should be expected to be met, and they should be a problem. There should be um, repercussions if you don't meet them. Um, and to me, the biggest thing that this league's the issue that this league has had for as long as I've been following it is that they don't want to hold anybody to any kind of um, God help you if it's a financial standard, but any kind of real you know standards. To, uh, I don't see repercussions. There's not this, even the basic scheduling mandates that other leagues have. You know, we can't force here. I don't know if it's a lack of leadership, if it's certain presidents that just say, hey, this could affect us down the road. So why would I put in rules that could at some point compromise us? You know, it's just fear or, or dislike of rules. But these guys can't seem to get on the table and get the stuff done. You know, minimum. I mean, I just watched that game at A&T. I mean, it's, listen, the Drexel performance did not help. Broadcast quality. The A&T broadcast, yeah, it was, they, it was static for two hours. Literally, they were, they were, they were speaking with static. For, for two straight hours. We, we, we muted it. I muted it before my wife said something. Uh, <laughs> and then she said, thank you. Um, so, uh, you know, we've, we've, it's just, um, yeah, the, 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 maybe it's a lack of leadership. I, I, I guess I, I don't know what else that you would call it. Well, I don't mean to speak. I don't, I don't want to step on Mull's toes, but I always go back to when Elon Charleston and Davidson left the SOCON, their commissioner was, very smart in taking those exit fees and putting them toward incentives that the schools could hit and basically rewarding them for things like a competitive schedule, no D ones, certain RPI thresholds that you reach. And that's what put the SOCON on the path that it was on up until recently, you know, where they had a a really, really solid mid major league and even surpassed the CAA in a lot of, you know, advanced metrics. So I would love if we could do something like that, but I'm sure if the CAA had extra cash, it'd probably go towards CBS Sports or something like that. <laughs> Not touching that one. All right, um, Brian. Brian, what do you have for the good, bad, and the ugly? Yeah, I want to touch on on what Tommy said, but uh, the good to me is Charleston. Uh, the the exposure that they've generated for the league with this an amazing, I mean, a 20 game winning streak. Who has a 20 game winning streak? And to think of, you know, I was just kind of sitting here flipping back through memory lane on Ken Palm and all of the great teams that we've had in the CAA over the last 20 years, uh, teams that finished the year top 25 in Ken Palm, two teams that made runs to the final four, uh, multi-bid years, leagues when, you know, years when the league was, was ranked one of the top 10 or 11 leagues in the country. But through all that, none, none of those teams were able to crack the you know the poll that everybody looks at on Monday morning, the AP Top 25. And so uh, what they've been able to do and the manner in which they've done it, I think, has been a tremendous boost for the league. Uh, getting into the bad, it's unfortunate that uh, two of their marquee games they've played in the conference to this point were not televised as part of the 17-team package on the, on the partner. Uh, that is totally goes back to what Tommy, I think, was talking about, about the vision and the leadership. And those things were in place in the CAA for many years uh, where teams, the teams who were earning the bids to the NIT or the NCAA or meeting the RPI requirement were getting a larger share of the NCAA pool money. Uh, You know, everybody got some, but then there was a portion that was you were rewarded for doing the right things, for scheduling the right way, for being able to attain an RPI. And then if you were able to have success and I think that motivated 
certainly you had plenty of programs, whether they were Mason or Old Dominion and VCU had their own motivation, but then it kind of motivated the rest to invest in their programs and try to get up to speed and not be the weak link in the league. And then, you know, I think we, you know, we went, went the CA went into a period of parity uh, after those top programs left where everybody felt like they were on similar footing and, you know, it was a manageable number. You were playing a round robin schedule and it, it seemed like uh, everybody could win or play for the championship. And, and, and we, you know, you did start to see a lot of different teams get to that point. And so now you're at this next chapter where uh, you've got 280 spots in Ken Palm separating the top from the bottom. And like Jerry mentioned, uh, these, you just can't afford to have that many teams that are the, the CAA should never have that many sub 300 teams. I'll just put it at that, like uh, getting the 250 to 300 window in a bad year, a rebuilding year like King Rice is in at Monmouth, having to come into a stronger lead. Uh, Gino Ford at Stony Brook lost two guards who were all conference in their previous stops before the season even started. Uh, two guys he was counting on to, and I think has actually done a pretty good job of coaching what he has, which is a very, very limited roster. Um, so I think there's some upside there, but everyone, um, yeah, there has to be a mandate from the league that this is how we expect you to schedule, that everyone has to be involved in this. I know that uh, in 2011, when VCU controversially got the, the at-large bid, Shaka. I want to talk about it. I, I wanted to bring that up just for you, Dan, since this is a Dragons <laughs> cast. Um <laughs> UNCW did not have a good team that year at all. They finished towards the bottom of the league, but they did go beat a very bad Wake Forest team on the road in December. And there were a couple of other instances like that where some of the teams at the bottom had been able to go knock off, you know, whether it was an A-10 or, or whomever who maybe wasn't having a great year, but because of what league they were in, they were still going to have a decent RPI at the end of the season. And Shaka, you know, said to me privately once, he goes, that win, UNCW's win over Wake Forest may have been the one thing that pushed us over the edge and helped us get that bid in somebody's eyes in that room. And that mattered. And I think until everybody kind of has that idea, but I think what we have right now is when you just look at resources, it's a pretty wide gap. I mean, when you look at Charleston, which I've, has always been kind of geared for success in, in my mind, uh, going back 25 years, always had great talent. Um, and then, and then you get down towards the bottom and you just have some question marks there, whether some of the other programs, uh, you know, what it's going to take for them to have a, maybe not the same investment as Charleston, but, but one that's representative of the CAA. So that's a, that's a big question. Um, a 13 team league is a, it's an interesting conundrum in a way, because, um, it's okay to have, you know, everybody, you don't really want everyone to be equal. You want there to be some separation, but at the same time you need to carry its weight. And, uh, and just to piggyback uh, the TV thing, uh, you know, Brian wrote yesterday that, you know, it's a bad look for the league to have national games broadcast remotely. And somebody at the CAA has got to say, in more profane language than I'll use here, this has got to stop. Uh, you know, we've got 17 games with you guys. We need you on site. Uh, like, 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 uh, like, like, like Brian was saying, they didn't know yesterday that Jair Davis got hurt in pregame because they're at a studio in Manhattan, I think. And 
and they didn't know her. You know, and, and they talked the whole first half. Like, and it, she's like, she says the third time this year, right, Brian? It, yeah, it Phillips happened, got her for Wilmington. It happened with Phillips in the in the first game up at Monmouth. That he was the yep. featured player as he should be, but he wasn't even there. He was sick. He was back in Wilmington, um, and you could look on the bench, and you know it was obvious. And then uh, with Jameer Nelson down at Charleston. Um, same thing. Obviously, Jameer, all-conference caliber player. He was the featured. They talked about him throughout the first half as if he was just going to magically appear, but he was injured and <laughs> not able to play in that game. And that's just not um, – it's not the announcer's fault, but there just needs right. to be some some communication from someone courtside. Just a quick text seems like it could solve it. Yeah, You might need to have a backup plan <laughs> in, this, right. in that case. Backup graphic, yeah. So they will fight um, that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just real quick, we, we used to have, um, when I was writing the blog, we used to have an esteemed sports better doing our oh, game yeah. previews, yep. right? Yep. Yep. And uh, he told me, he told me, um, basically verbatim, that he had, back in the day when cell phones weren't in vogue, he had the phone on the scorer's table. He had the number in hmm. a lot of arenas around the country. Wow. And he would call them pretending to be an SID or something else, find out <laughs> who was injured before the game, <laughs> That's great. who was on the floor, okay? And that's how he would make a lot of money. Um, he was doing that without cell phones. It, you can broadcast this game remotely. Yes, you should. Somebody there has got to be communicating with you. Yeah, that's it's 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 bizarre to me. Um, totally with you. I don't like the remote broadcast. It's another thing, but this is this is not that. This is not about the remote broadcast. This is about just basic communication fundamentals. It could be as simple as one of the SIDs taking a photo of the stat broadcast when they post the right. starting lineups 10 minutes before the game and just texting it to the to the talent and just uh giving them a little heads up it just makes everybody look bad and it makes it look like kind of an amateurish presentation otherwise i i, I think you know it's, it's certainly it's better than not having anything um on it from a national perspective there's room for improvement yeah and if it's only gonna be 17 games then then i want them in person <laughs> You know, if you're going to show somehow three games a weekend, okay, I get it. You know, can't be everywhere, everywhere, every time, and 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 I understand they're not first or second on their uh, list of priorities, but you know, we're not over the pandemic, but we're three years into it. Everyone else is in person. They they need to be in person too. In my two cents. I mean, I would I would settle for the remote broadcasts. Just flex every game. Every game should be a flex. Yeah. You're not going to send anybody. If there's no travel to book. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. The next, the next uh, marquee matchup on CBS Sports Network for the CAA is going to be Northeastern Hofstra at Northeastern. It's going to be an empty gym. No offense. Uh, and then Hampton versus Elon. Like that's that's the that's how you want to display your league in February. Right. Like yeah. right. And I think I think every team's got a game, right? Uh, every team uh, has to have a game. That's the agreement, whether it's a handshake I mean, or not. And, and yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, again, you should like, have to earn. It's that. a merit. Right, meritocracy 100%. at some point. You earn yeah. your right to play the national TV game. Uh, you're trying to present your league the best that you can. Every team's got a last place team. We understand that. I mean, nobody wants to watch the bottom two teams in the ACC play either. I right. mean, like, nobody's watching that game. But right. um, yeah, the Big South and the, has been doing it for years with ESPNU. They have a game every other Thursday night at seven o'clock, and they flex it couple of weeks before that, you know, and they play Wednesdays and Saturdays in that league. Someone moves their game to Thursday, obviously for the opportunity to play on national television and sacrifices the prep for the next game or whatever. But uh, if they can do it, it, it can be done. Yep. Yeah. So uh, hopefully that's something that can be addressed and, 
Um, you know, I, I, I saw when Wilmington was playing in Charleston, you know, some people saying you know, it's a possible, you know, what if you who flex Wilmington and Charleston into what well, that was a Wednesday night game, Thursday night game. What if someone lose? You need more time than that to get people on site and to prep for it and to get the to get the manpower. What if Charleston or Wilmington lose on Saturday? Then it's just you know a, a not a dud game, but it's not a game that has national implications anymore. So I get that, but um, you know, you know, if you're on we, the league, just needs a better presentation of the product uh, in those games. Yeah. Um, well, everybody stole my thunder for the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, but, <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, you know, my good, we already said it, parody atop the CAA. I, I do think the top four are legit. Uh, and I, I put UNCW in there, um, even if Brian's not quite there yet. Bad, uh, already said it, Crane, Drexel's North Carolina road trip. You know, somebody had to give Elon their first D1 win. Um, I thought, I, I agree with you, actually. I thought Elon ha- actually had been pretty competitive and it was only going to be a matter of time before they got the win, but stings to, to, to fall to them and to A&T double digits. Um, I was also going to go the, the broadcast angle for mine, uh, or backup was the state of Northeastern and Elon basketball. I think I already have picked on Northeastern enough. Sorry, Mike, Mike Brodsky. Um, so I'll, I'll go to Elon. I could, I could vent about Elon a lot more, uh, to have a brand new arena, and your head coach would rather be an assistant than lead his own program in a pretty solid mid-major league. I don't know what's going on there to to make him make that decision. I know it's Duke, but um, you know you have enough. There's only so many head coaching jobs, and he'd rather give that up and, and go to Duke. Uh, Billy Taylor seems like a nice guy, but 11 years as a head coach, one 20 win season, one tournament appearance as a 16 seed, like seems like a little bit of a safe pick for me. I thought they would try to swing for the fences a little bit with a, an upstart assistant or something like that. But I just, I don't know what Elon's doing. Their fans, I I've referenced this a couple of times, but their fans, they're the student newspaper, student news organization. there interviewed a kind of man on the street style, some students after Shroggy left and none of them had an issue with it. They all thought it was going to be a great move for Shroggy's career. Like they're all, you know, probably were wearing Duke gear under their, their Elon sweaters anyway. Um, right, right. So it, it, that, just leaves a, a bad taste in my mouth. What's going on up at Elon? Yeah, it's funny, Tommy. We're not going to have a podcast together anytime soon because we're just going to sit there and agree with each other. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, I've, I've th- had all of these thoughts about Elon before some of them, but I, I when they hired Billy Taylor, I said like, he must be alum. <laughs> you know, and I, I went and looked, and he's not. He's, not, I couldn't find a connection to the school. I, um, I was very confused. Um, they got the facilities. They paid for the facilities. They want that Northeast coverage, right? They want to be part of this league. They wanted, and then they 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 just put this on the floor, and it's like you're in you're in North Carolina too, like you're in you're in the sweet spot right there. Um, it's it's tough to watch a little bit. I think it's reasonable to question their administration's commitment to excellence. I'll just leave it at that. You know, that's I a just, strong statement. I, I I just don't see, and I I have a feeling that's what frustrated Shroggy, because he's a guy who. Uh, who wanted to win at the highest level, like any coach, and 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 was a top three coach in this league in, during his time here. Um, Quickly too, yeah. And uh, I feel like, uh, but it goes both ways, right? You have to, you have to have the support of your of your administration, um, 
and you have to, everybody has to be pulling in the same direction. It's so tenuous at this mid-major level. We've all experienced it. I know Jerry has seen it at Hofstra. Uh, Drexel's had some rough, you know, seasons along the way. Uh, maybe not a complete bottom out, but and certainly no one, no program in the country at the mid-major level has experienced the highs and lows quite as ex- to the extremes of UNC Wilmington. Basically, either winning championships or winning six games. You know, and, no in between. Uh, so no it between. just goes. It just goes to show that you have to, uh, you know, you have to have everybody kind of on on board in, in the same direction and pooling their wisdom and resources together to even have a chance to to get there. There's still no game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens at Elon. I do think they've played better late, lately, and people forget that Gerald Gillen's Butler was like the guy they were building it around a couple of years ago. And he's literally hurt for two seasons, and now he's back and playing, and I think he's making a difference. So I think they'll get a couple more. Um, I think they'll get a couple more. I'd agree with you. I was actually surprised by how well Hampton played this last swing. They came to the Drexel, and they lost the Drexel, but you know, everybody in that gym was kind of going, these guys are not the team that we heard about. Then they went to Monmouth and blasted them. They beat Delaware. They played a close game yesterday. I mean, that's becoming a little bit of an interesting story because I didn't think on paper they looked that that good, but they, they've they've been uh, turned some kind of corner down there. The Shraggy thing is interesting to me, Ryan. I'm glad you said it because I remember that we Drexel played them in the COVID year conference final, and that was you know kind of the the hype mark. Um, and the funny thing about that one was you know Drexel had only played two home games that season in CA play, and so had Elon, and they were the, like the six and seven seeds going into that tournament because of that. And if Elon doesn't have to play four games in four, four days, Shraggy might have a conference title under his belt. Um, you know, that was a huge difference maker in that game, the fact that they were running on awful tired legs. And, and the previous year he took down he took down Nathan right. Knight, Commodore. the Commodore. Well, you see, his plan there was he knew that William Mary couldn't handle winning the, winning the CA tournament and going to the CA tournament and not playing in it. So he just took care of them. <laughs> and as we all know, the market, the market inefficiency is to win your conference tournament, but don't participate in the NCAA tournament. And I don't want you all to know, I've got, we've got three t-shirts in this house that say Hofstra 2020 March Madness. So in our minds, it happened. They produced like, they Love produced it. like some shirts. Hofstra bought some for like Wednesday night and then the world shut down. We got them. So <laughs> sorry, so, sorry to do the 2020 segue again. <laughs> <laughs> they went to a good home. Yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> my good. I'm like, I'll be cheesy. But my good is getting you guys together. This was fun. This was a fun pod, and I appreciate you guys being here. Um, I, uh, my, my bad, Jerry. You, you're talking about uh, not using profanity. The conference office knows my standards. I'm, I'm, they're, they're very well aware, and they've told me. So you can feel free to use profanity here or, or drop anything that you want to drop. Um, hey, Tom, like, hell damn fart. The Bart Simpson line. <laughs> I can curse. Oh, damn Bart. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm intrigued to see year two of this great experiment. I, I don't know that I'm excited to see Campbell, um, and, and the expansion, but I, I do want to see, um, King Rice. He, he may need, he need years two and three, but I think he'll get them. Um, uh, I went toe to toe with somebody on, on Stony Brook's future, but I think it's bright. Um, Yesterday, somebody offline just kind of randomly grabbed me and want to talk about Stony Brook, which I know very little about. Um, but sure, um, I, I do think I think some of these teams that come in A and T, I think Shumpert has a coach of the year argument for coming in in August, and and I know um, sure 
listen, it's it's a it's a foregone conclusion, Coach Theory, right? But I, I do. I think it's actually it's a to me it's a two man race uh, if A and T keeps keeps running. I can see that. Just give him the damn job. They've had three straight interim coaches. Like, just give the man a contract and let him kick. See, he's done fine. You know, he obviously screwed some talent and the, the players seem to like him. And just give him a three year, four year, yeah. five year contract and let him yeah, come. Players, yeah. Like I said, I was really impressed with them up here because, again, I know I said already, but it's New Year's Eve. You're stuck in here for one more night. You. The Marriott Uniondale asked Brian, ain't a great place to spend New Year's Eve. <laughs> and this guy's been on the road for a month. And Hofstra's, you know, kind of just, you know, a cat with a toy, whatever. And, like, and they just kept coming and coming and coming. And, you know, I could see, you know, it wasn't fun to watch, you know, the, the alma mater was like that. But I feel good for those guys. Like, good for them, man. That's that's an impressive team. And and Philip Schumper is doing something right to not just get those kids, but to get them playing like this in this weird is he the full time or is he permanent? Won't he be permanent? So I'm, you know, I was really impressed watching them in person. And uh, you know, I'll echo Brian. I hope I hope they sign him to a, to a deal and see what he can do uh, with with hopefully some conference consistency because they've changed three times in three years, right? They were me acting yeah. south to here, so you know, I like to see. You know, I'm sure they'd like to see too what they can do with a set coach and a set home. Until alignment comes again, right? Which might be tomorrow. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see him get signed as well. My ugly, and this is the warm and fuzzies from a Drexel fan. All right, Delaware Blueheads have beaten Towson, but they did it when Cam Holden was out. Otherwise, they have three home wins for the season: Elon, William and Mary, and Northeastern, and have won no other games. They do this with two first-team All-CA caliber players on their roster, in Davis and Jameer Nelson Jr. My ugly is the rest of the Delaware roster. How bad? I mean, and maybe maybe signing Martin Inglesby to a to a new deal before the season started because um, he listen he got into the tournament. He's proved his worth. I wouldn't. He's not my first choice. That's what I would tell you. So uh, I they feel like it feels like they're doing a little with a lot. We talked about teams that are outperforming the sum is great in the parts. It feels like they got a little bit of the opposite going on Delaware this year. Um, and again, as a Drexel fan, love to see it. Yeah, no bias. Right, right, of course. Right. Lay it all out there. <laughs> I mean, I was talking to uh, Brian and saying, uh, you know, if I thought if Hofstra, uh, Charleston got past Hofstra, I thought that the biggest hurdle for Charleston the rest of the way, because I got one down home, was that Delaware Drexel or Drexel Delaware swing just because it's a long trip. And Brian's like, that's not happening. <laughs> He's like, unless, unless the teams don't show up. That's not <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, Brian, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just feel like. Yeah, I mean, Charleston had an epically poor shooting night, and it took a great night from Hofstra. There's just so many ways they can beat you. Delaware and Drexel don't have between, uh, I think, the backcourt play at Drexel has been a little iffy. Point guard, as Dan mentioned, and then Delaware just has really no front court depth. Andrew Carr is becoming a star at Wake Forest. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Martin, Martin, you know, has had, uh, he's had some tough luck. They've all all the coaches in this league have had some some interesting luck with that, but I don't know that anybody's taking it on the chin. Which makes that they won it kind of cool. Guys, you know they won it with some guys who stuck around, right? Painter Anderson was out fifth and sixth yeah, guys. Yeah, it was kind of neat inbound transfers. Yeah. Kind of neat that they won it with some guys who stuck around after the free with their free year, and and of course then because you know then he loses guys anyway. So <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, he's like you say he's really taking the chin there and. Um, you know, it's it, it been an interesting couple of years for them because they kind of underachieved. You can't put anything in 
2020 doesn't count or 2021 is just such a weird season. And last year they weren't, you know, they really, well, they succeed when they won it. Right. 10 and eight in the regular season. I mean, preseason favorites though. Right. Right. But they just kind of like weird year. They, no one really thought they yeah. had them coming to the tournament. And you know, Martin had that great quote after they won it all. His wife said, get, you know, cut the, sh- cut the shit, you know, don't, don't drink a bottle of wine. We're going to figure it out right now. And they had a great four, four days when they needed it. So yeah, it's kind of in a weird stretch for them. And like, I'm a, it's kind of a cliche. I'm a, I'm a big believer in championship metal, but like you know, they lost car and nothing's been banged up. And now we don't know about Jair Davis. Like, and I don't even know how much we can count on that. And if those guys come back and they're okay, I can still see them, you know, having uh, kind of find that muscle memory in a few weeks. But other than Christian Ray, I don't think we're seeing a whole lot of like, you know, like, Brian, like uh, Dan was saying, it's two of the better players in the league. And then, you're not really sure what you got after that. So, and I, I will say for any uh, Notre Dame administration who's listening to this podcast, Martin Ingles would be a great pick. <laughs> Phenomenal hire. Phenomenal hire. You know, no need to look at any other hot mid-major coaches right, right now. You got your guy right, right there, Martin Inglesby. Yeah. Tommy, what is the uh, feeling in Charleston to to completely hijack this <laughs> podcast? But, uh, what um, you know, obviously, it's the elephant in the room. But uh, Pat's a hot coach. And uh, what what are people saying down around the program? Yeah, I mean, we've said a couple of times we know that success is fleeting. I, I will say a few things that are encouraging. Number one, I thought the jobs we had to be most worried about were Xavier being open last year. Um, and what Wake Forest? Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah Xavier for sure. I forget the other opening. Maybe it was South Carolina being open last year. That, that was scaring us. Um, Ohio State, like if. They made a dumb decision and, and fired their fired Holtman. Um, it was really encouraging. The Post and Courier put out an article the other day where President Chu, uh, Matt Roberts, the athletics director, and maybe some staff were all kind of rowing in unison of like, we want to be the Gonzaga of the East. Like, you know, I know that term's overused, but they all seem to be locked in of like what the value of the basketball program could be and what the vision could be. From what I've heard, the people who... Like you need to have on board, um, really like Pat Kelsey, um, and I know that Pat Kelsey's family really loves Charleston. It's just going to be a matter of like when push comes to shove, and you need to give Kelsey the extension after this year. How how much are the donors you know putting up for that? Is it's going to determine things? Sure. I mean, he hung out at Winthrop for a while longer than he needed to, right? He kind of waited yeah. for the right spot. And maybe maybe the UMass thing scares some P five programs, like you know maybe that it's going to help us in some regard. Um, I don't know. I think everybody's, everybody's scared of what could potentially happen. Um, but I think Matt Roberts and the school could, could make a compelling offer for, for Pat Kelsey to stay a little while. Well, Notre Dame, if you're listening, Pat Kelsey loves the Midwest. Loves the Midwest. <laughs> this, this, you know, he loves touchdown Jesus. Now he doesn't. He's a Cincinnati guy. But yeah, I mean, and like Brian and I talked about this, talked about this, like, you know, uh, you know, I think if you took, uh, gave Toots Serum to Shaka Smart, should have left VCU. Uh, Coach L, my, my favorite guy, worked out pretty well in Miami. But a lot of these guys, you know, the, it's life-changing money beyond, you know, you can't blame for taking it, but, you know, Charleston, you're always going to be the guy and the program. And either you're going to be really good in the CAA or you're going to be really good for so long that maybe you're a candidate for another league. And we all, know, you know, we all know 
you know, the A10, you know, everyone wants to go to the A10, right? Um, and can, you know, could, could they do it like a VCU did where they were really good for a couple of years and then moved in and didn't, and didn't miss a beat? Davidson, same thing. So, you know, uh, you know for, for, it'd be a great story if he stayed as long as he could. And he seems like a guy who, like, as obviously Tommy pointed out, loves South Carolina, loves Charleston, area loves him back. And, you know, it, I, don't, I don't think any of it is uh, is inauthentic. It just feels like it's a great fit. I love watching those tweets and, and reading the stories, and he just he's into it. You know, all the Hank Scorpio jokes. He's into it. He's a great motivational guy, and, and he fits in great in a spot where basketball is the one first, second, third sport in town. So, uh, I hope you know. Uh, we'll see. It'll be interesting for sure. The next few years. I tell you, Drexel's path the A10 is to buy LaSalle, <laughs> which, 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 which is actually actually not. What's it going rate for LaSalle? <laughs> It's it's getting cheaper every day. I will tell you that, Tommy. It is uh, it's an attainable goal decade. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it is it's a um, that is that is the next question, right? Is which is who's in the conference yeah. in a couple of years? And you have to think COC is the top of the list. So much of this for for guys. So much can... of this movement feels like the league preparing for someone to leave, right? I mean, thirteen is untenable. Fourteen is untenable. When does fourteen become twelve or ten? Or I don't I don't know. I mean. I mean, I've always thought, and this is just me talking on my uh, ample posterior, but I've always thought that if they ever go to 96, which it seems like they're going to do because the NCAA can't not ruin a good thing. Like, I just wonder if there's going to be some kind of like, uh, this is, again, this is me talking. So, and, and Brian knows much more, knows much more of this than I do. So, so maybe, uh, you know, he can tell me it's completely off the, off the reservation, but it feels like there might be like a, a, a one-time waiver granted to start new leagues. So that you know the fourteen team CAA is now the East Coast Conference, Toledo's with the seven teams above the Mason Dixon line, and then this maybe the C the, the seven teams below it, Wilmington's, et cetera, et cetera, keep the CA name. I'm just talking out loud here, but you know, uh, you know these fourteen and twelve and fifteen team mid majors, they're untenable. If, if you're you know the Sun Belt, come on. <laughs> You know, not not to dog our old friends in Madison, but the Sunbelt. Come on, it's not. And it's not just twelve, fifteen teams. It's right. the footprint of it. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Patriot. At least you can kind of make right. some sense out of. And we're getting. And we're getting there. We're getting there here. We're getting there here. We're not quite there, but Campbell is uh, North Carolina. I should know this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. About an hour from Raleigh. Oh, okay, so it's still in that, you know, broad Boston. It's still in that line, but. It's a little off the beaten path, right, Brian? Oh, it's in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. In a tiny little town, um, there's really not much there other than the college. Uh, there's not a big city. Uh, Raleigh, you know, is the closest. And like I said, it's 45 to an hour. Um, you know, they've invested in their uh, – they started football a while back. And they have great facilities. They have a perfect little arena for their mm-hmm. school size and their fan base of about 3,000 people. Uh, it's probably it's less than ten years old, I would say, and it's great. The concourse and the whole deal—it's kind of like a mini Charleston version, but uh, they have a law school. You know, I mean, it's an interesting place, but uh, they desperately wanted to be in the CAA for a long time. They're really optimistic about their football, wanted to be in what's considered the what best, uh, the best right. FCS league um, in the, this part of the world. So, 
yeah, that'll be, uh, you know, it's a good dynamic for Wilmington. They, they've been playing since they were both junior colleges, I think. So, I mean, it's a longstanding rivalry. They've played every year and they've had some, but they'll have to, uh, you know, they've just kind of been a middle of the road uh, team in the Big South. So they'll, they'll be right. in the same boat as some of these other programs we're in coming in. They're going to have to upgrade their talent. Yeah, so, which, like I said, what do, you, what do you think about that idea that I, I threw out there? Is that a possibility or is that just a non-starter with the uh, tournaments expanding? And I think – yeah, I mean, I think it's realistic. I mean, I think everything's on the table. What uh, what's what's the NCAA going to look like five yeah, years from no now kidding. or ten years from now? Does any can anybody no. answer that? Whatever yeah. screws over the mid majors the most is where where it's at. We'll all be rooting for NIT champions at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the what's to stop the SEC and the the Big Ten from just becoming their own their own thing and uh, you know picking up some other games, non conference games and football and basketball when they can. Uh, I mean, who knows, really? I think we're in a crazy period of transition. I think it's a great idea, though, because these conferences were formed whenever they were formed. Bus leagues. To For one reason, yeah, yeah to be yeah. a bus league, geographically. Yeah. So you could go play a game on Wednesday night and everybody could be back you know, in their own bed or going to class Thursday morning and not, uh, you know, and keeping the cost down. And, um, you know, now these leagues are trying to operate like the ACC and the SEC, except don't have the revenue stream to back to back it up. I can't afford to send the volleyball team on an airplane halfway across the country. So it's interesting. Yeah, they, they, I think it would be great. Uh, it makes way too much sense for me to ever think it would happen. Right. 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 One of the things that does make sense that did happen this week, as reported by uh, Dana O'Neill and Mike Jensen here locally, is that the uh, the Big Five, City Six. Um, Basically, coming up with a with a plan, and this has been in the works for quite some time. So I know uh, years we're negotiating this out, but essentially, each team's going to get a home game, a road game against another city team, and then they play a triple header at the uh, Wells Fargo Center uh, first Saturday of December each year, um, which is a, a pretty good setup, I think, um, locally. And, and this type of thing, and the reason why I'm bringing up the larger audience here is that uh, as the conferences expand, these kind of local associations that need to be worth more. And I, I think they make a lot of sense. And I think uh, all these schools, whether it's Charleston playing Citadel, you know, every five minutes if they can, you know, or, or, or whatever the case might be, you know, but you, you, you band, you may have to not use conference affiliation to make geography work for you. That's the best way I can put it. And, and find, you find other associations that work uh, outside of your conference structure. And, um, you know, the big 10 is always going to want, more conference games and less out of conference because the bigger they can make their TV package, the better. Um, that's not true for the CAA. So uh, does the conference schedule need to be 18 games? Can you get more local games? You know, it, it's uh, across all sports. I think that's, it's also relevant. So um, do you shrink the value of the conference intentionally, essentially um, to make it more budget friendly on the schools within? Uh, I think it's, what does the conference give you? Uh, I don't know. But I think this is good. All six schools, by the way, in Philadelphia, put out a non-denial denial <laughs> statement after that, mm-hmm. saying uh, we didn't agree to that. So I'm sure somebody's arguing about branding or something else. But um, it, it's going to happen. Um, fairly confident about that, uh, especially with those two. Uh, they're the kind of pros who reported this. So not worried about that not coming to fruition probably for next year. So that's, that's great news. Um, that'll wrap it, I think, for us. I think I've held you guys long enough. I'd love to do this again one more time, maybe as we go into the tournament. Um, try to get you get you all back. I know it's a, a not a very busy time of year for for Jerry and Brian and probably right. you two times. So, um, we'll uh, we'll try to flag it down though. Thanks, guys, for coming on. 
and uh, you guys have a great evening.